this week you had December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. I went and looked at some old videos and watched what took place there. And I thought to myself, you know, when that happened, how incredibly fearful most Americans must have been. I think you would have had to have been. We were being attacked on our own land by the Japanese. And a lot of men were lost, and a lot of ships, equipment went down. Those men made their grave in those boats, in those ships, threw us in to the war in a big way. But you'd have to wonder, just how is this going to turn out? Because you can't see into the future what's going to happen. I myself can go back to the events of September 11th, and I can think as we had small children that I was really deep down inside somewhere concerned, a little bit uneasy about what was going on and what that meant for the future of my family and of our country. It just really bothered me. But again, you can't see how these things are going to turn out. Do you believe? If anybody was going to ask the question about difficult challenges, things that you and I have experienced like Pearl Harbor. I haven't experienced it, but you understand what I mean. Or maybe 9-11. Or maybe something personal in your life that has come along as your own personal 9-11 or Pearl Harbor event and has knocked your feet out from under you. You'd ask yourself, you know, what in the world is this challenge, is this difficulty supposed to be all about? And how is it going to work out? We have no better author to talk about those kinds of things than the Apostle Paul. I want you to listen to something he wrote earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And he said this, talking to the church at Corinth, he said, I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. We're weak, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we're held in disrepute. For the present hour, we hunger, we thirst. We're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, we're homeless. We labor, we work with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world the refuse of all things. Now you may think, how could he possibly have said that? Well, you weren't alive at the time that Paul became a Christian. Christianity was not the mainline religion of his day. Christianity was an up-and-coming event that basically was looked upon by most of that society as a bunch of loons. You'd be persecuted for that, and Paul knew what that was like. He says, we apostles, we who are serving the Lord in this way, we are like the scum of the world. We're the refuse of everything. We are the town garbage dump as far as this world is concerned. So now I want to deal with that scripture that I read to you just a moment ago, one verse at a time. Look at what Paul says. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I brought along, just because I'm from East Liverpool, a couple of jars of clay. Now, these are in my office. Anybody recognize that? That is fiesta ware. This is 30th anniversary. Is that right? 30? No, 60th anniversary fiesta ware put out in 1996 because they started making fiesta ware over there at Homer Lachlan Pottery. 
in 1936, just before the war began. These are clay vessels at the end of the day. They may look pretty and they may look nice, but if I throw one down, it will break. And it is not the place where you would put valuable things. I was sitting there getting ready to come up here a little earlier, and I kept felt this, this little bulge, bunch of stuff in my pocket. I thought, what's that? Well, it was Bo's dog treats in my left-hand pocket. So they are now in this jar of clay. But if I lose them, the only person that's going to be alarmed is my dog. I'm not going to be putting anything that I consider to be of value in that earthenware container. But Paul says this. We have our treasure in jars of clay. We have our treasure in jars of clay for a reason, to show that the surpassing power, and I want you to get a grip on that word surpassing for a minute. It means far more than you will ever need. It surpasses anything that you could ever imagine, and it is that power that is in that jar of clay. It's the ability to influence our own realities in a very supernatural manner. But Paul wants us to know this. You see it right there in the verse. It's not our power, it's the power that belongs to God, but he has deposited it in us as believers. Paul is really here talking about the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the basic worthlessness of the people that he uses to proclaim it, what he's placed inside of you and me. Paul is not saying, gee, we're just lousy. He's not downplaying the value of being made in God's image. But he is saying, if you want to compare the container to what God's put into it, they're not comparable. We have a treasure in us, in these jars of clay that God has put us in. He's deposited the power of his gospel and the power of his Holy Spirit into us. And it surpasses anything that we could ever want or need. And then Paul says we're afflicted in every way, not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair. When he says that we are afflicted in every way, he wants you to understand Murphy's Law in a very real way. And he wants you to understand it with pain. When he says afflicted, he says we are afflicted in every way you could imagine. Everything but the kitchen sink, with regard, throw in the kitchen sink, with regard to affliction, has come to us, but... We're not crushed. We're not without hope. We're not without escape. Look at that next word he says. We're perplexed. Sure, we're confused. Sure, we don't understand why this is happening. But we are not driven to despair. We are not driven to losing our mental composure. It has been hard, but we are not at the place where we're going to surrender. And the reason for that is because of what God has deposited in this jar of clay. It's his power. He says we are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. In the day of Paul, you're going to walk out here today, you're going to get in your car, and nothing's going to happen to you. Paul had an everyday occurrence of the possibility of being stoned, of being hung, of being crucified simply because he was a Christian. He says, I'm persecuted. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We don't feel like we're abandoned. We've been struck down. Yeah, we've been thrown at. We've been pushed. We've been shoved. All that's happened, but we've not been destroyed. We're not damaged beyond repair. The body has not been totaled by what's been happening. Why? Because of what God has deposited in us. 
Then he says this, and we always carry around in this vessel the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also also be manifested in our body. Now, this is a key point, and I, I don't have it in my notes clear enough, but I want you to get this. So much of Scripture, there's plenty of places in the New Testament that talks about us sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And we tend to take, you know, our little difficulties that we have that we think are so important, and I'm not discounting anybody's difficulties, but when you compare them to what happened to Jesus, he's hung on the cross, he's been beaten and crucified and ultimately dies, probably what I'm going through today or tomorrow will not compare. And the reason I bring this up is because that's not what he's talking about right here. When he says, we always carry in the body the death of Jesus, I want you to understand this. We as Christians always carry about in ourselves the ability to to kill Jesus again. Are you with me? We have the ability to sin and to throw him up on that cross one more time. So Paul says we're always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies, that we're overcomers, that because of that surpassing power that God has deposited in us, we are able to overcome even the very desire to sin. Why? So others can see, so that the the life of Jesus can be manifested in us. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in this, he says, mortal flesh, but I'm going to say to you in this jar of clay. We're constantly being betrayed to death, handed over to death, so that the life of Jesus in us can become clearer in our mortal bodies. I, I want you to get this too. This is so important in this, th- that last verse in this one. Paul is saying, that in difficult times, both death and life are evident. He's not saying, well, I'm having a tough time, and so therefore because Jesus rose from the dead, I know that at the end of this mess, I'm going to rise too. No, Paul is saying in the midst of this mess, I have both life and death. The difficulty is there, but the life, the overcoming, surpassing power that Jesus has placed in me is there all the time as well. So death can be at work in us, but life can be at work in you. And he's talking to the people he's writing to. Death, the difficulties that you see, my being the scum of the world, he says, my being the refuse of the world, all of that is so that you can see as I deal with this uncomfortable circumstance and it looks bad, You can see that the life of Jesus is in me as well. You can see that I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak. I want you to see that that in living through difficulty, the animating factor, the thing that pushes us forward is what we believe. I ask you the question, it's asked at Christmas all the time, do you believe? But it's not about Santa Claus. It's do you have faith? And Paul is saying here, since we have that spirit of faith, according to what's been written, I believe and so I spoke. 
We also believe, and so we speak. When you go through a tough time, tell someone about it. I just want to stop here and let you know that what this quote that Paul has in the Scripture, what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, it comes from Psalm 116. And if you go and look and read all of Psalm 116, David is writing that psalm, and David is basically saying, man, I am the scum of the earth. I'm the refuse of the world. You won't believe what I've been through. And then he says in the middle of it at verse 10, but I have faith, and so I tell others about it. In the midst of that dying, and that's exactly what Paul's saying here. He's saying, since we have a spirit of faith, according to what's been written, I believe and spoke, we also believe and so we speak. And so when the trials come, the way that we get through it is by the way we live and the way we tell others about it. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his with you into his presence. When he says knowing, I want you to see that he's saying this is a fact. When he says I know, he's not saying, well, maybe this will happen. It's not the uncertainty of Pearl Harbor and getting into the war and what's going to happen. It's not the uncertainty of buildings and thousands of people being killed in New York City on September 11th. It is the fact that whatever I'm going through right now, I know one thing for sure. I'm not speculating and I'm not gambling. I know this. The one that raised Jesus can raise me and also you and bring us together into his very throne room. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul is saying to his readers, this is happening so you can see how God works. This is happening so that you can see the grace, the, the goodwill that God freely disseminates and gives to us can be extended to you. It's so that the, the grace that may be this big today can be this big tomorrow because you now recognize it and you see it. And thanksgiving to God can abound and God can get more and more glory. So we do not lose heart. This outer shell may waste away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul's saying, when he says we don't lose heart, he means we're not going to be discouraged about this trial. It may look outwardly like everything is falling apart, wasting away. When, it, when he uses that word there, wasting, it actually means the physical process of the body breaking down, wearing out becoming older and less healthy or rotting after it dies. You know, this morning, I, I got up at 3 today. I can't sleep. Got up at 3 o'clock, you know. Went back upstairs about 4.30, tried to lay down, and I'm lying there in bed. And I got myself a cramp in this right calf like you'd never forget. I mean, I yet out, let out a yell because my leg cramped up. You know what that is? I'd love to tell you it's because I exercised too hard yesterday, but that's not the case. I'd love to tell you that it's because I was doing some great thing yesterday and it brought the cramp on. It's because I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm up down steps, my knees hurt, things ache. It's what Paul's talking about. We don't lose heart. We're not discouraged. Yeah, this, this, this vessel is going to chip. It's going to crack. And one day it's going to be broken completely. But inwardly, what's going on inside? happening day by day 
will be in your need. And you know what's important about that where he says day by day? I found this interesting. That word day by day literally means every day. The time it takes for the earth to turn on its axis one time. Paul is saying, yeah, the body may be decaying and the trials may be hard, but every day when you are a Christian, God is doing something new inwardly that only you and him know. And then look at this. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. This momentary. (laughs) You know, I have watched people suffer for most of their lives with some particular malady or another, and they are not going to think to themselves, this is momentary. I know a lady that dealt with Whatever it is where you just get that phantom pain all through your body, I forget what it's called. I I watched a lady deal with that for decades. She did not think that that was momentary. When you think about the fact that God is talking about eternity, this momentary, this brief affliction. And and note what he also says, it's light. It's comparatively a small thing. This state of physical or mental or social or economic pressure that you're under, it's momentary. It's just for the here and now. It may be for a day. It may be for a week. But it's something that doesn't last that long. And even if it lasts for a lifetime, in light of eternity, it's just a moment. Because God's working something in that that many people can't see. He's working an eternal weight. That that means significance. An eternal significance of high honor, glory, beyond anything you could ever compare. Not just for him, but I believe for us as well. Because what that verse a few verses ago said was that we're going to be moved in close proximity to God one day. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. These things that are transient, but things that are unseen are eternal. There is a little word here on that screen that you've got to look at real close. It's the very first word, as. It means provided that. And it's, it's a big word. I know you look at it and you see two letters. But what Paul's saying here is provided that. All that stuff he said before this, this light affliction, this momentary event, this thing that is running us down, this circumstance that's throwing us into the ground physically, that's breaking up the very vessel that God has given us, this trial that you seem to be going through right now, it's really momentary, it's light, it doesn't matter because God's doing something better for us. But here he uses the word provided that. Are you with me? Do you see what I'm saying to you? All that stuff I said to you before, right here, it hinges on what he's going to say right here. Provided that we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. I had an uncle at Pearl Harbor. He was out with a bunch of guys. I think they threw something like, when when they started dropping the bombs, They threw something like 15 guys into a 30-whatever, I forget what it was, Plymouth, I think. 
and they all took off flying to get to where they were supposed to be. They had no clue that there was going to be a tomorrow for them. He runs into this guy uh, in a baseball field dugout that the military had there, and they're in this dugout, and the guy he's with takes off running across the field to try to get where he's got to go, and lo and behold, as it, it, actually my uncle was the one that ran, as he looked back, that dugout blew up. The guy lived. <laughs> but my point is, you don't have a clue. That's because you're looking at what's here. That's because you're looking at what's happening right now. And Paul says, but provided that you look not at what's here right now, but you look to something else, look to the things that are unseen. The, the things here are transient. They're temporary. Look at the things that are eternal. Now, I want to say this to you. He's not saying to not be interested in what's going on here. But you've got to see it all through the lens of eternity, through the lens of the unseen world that God has for us, through the lens of the promises that God has made to us. Paul is not so heavenly-minded, preoccupied with, with heaven that he's of no earthly good. No, he knows what's going on. He knows that we get cancer and we get sickness and we get offended and we get attacked and we may get murdered. He knows all that. But he also knows in all of those circumstances, there is a place and a person to whom we can look. Paul had made that decision long ago on the Damascus Road when he was called. He left everything that was behind him and he set his sight on what lay ahead. This life with all of its sufferings and its heartaches, look at what he says, they're passing away. In 1 Corinthians 7, 31, Paul says this, the present form of this world is passing away. Think about that for a minute. The present form of this world isn't going to be here in eternity. It's all temporary. And God honors, this was going to be one of my this week as I prepared, I, get, I, I work ahead, but I don't get to my bottom line until the week of. And I was stuck on three different bottom lines. I should never give you three bottom lines. I'm not going to give them to you, but I do want to tell you what one of them might have been. God guards our faith when we guard his glory. Think about that for a minute. God guards our faith when we guard his glory. What are you looking at? What's going on? No, you look into what lies ahead, what lies ahead. Eternity, next to Jesus, with God, in his glory, seeing what he's like. And when we look to him, instead of to the here and now, he protects what allows us to look there, our faith. That's why Paul said to Timothy, in the book of 1 Timothy, Timothy, guard the deposit that God has trusted, entrusted to you. We don't look at what's here, we look at what's there, and that's God. J. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary man, said this, all of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on him being with them. Did you get that? All of God's giants were weak men 
vessels of clay who were able to do great things for God because they reckoned that God was with them. So you focus on him, not on ourselves. The second dump bottom line is this. Suffering reveals not only my weakness, but God's glory. I didn't like that. But I threw that out there for extra for you. Warren Wearsby said this. The true test of a Christian is not their scars, it's their scars. I want you to think about that. The true test of a Christian is not their scars, it's their scars. Probably one of the reasons Paul the Apostle said this, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Now here's your bottom line. The challenge of my life is God's adjustment to my vision. Difficult circumstances will serve to adjust our vision. Before you read this up there on the screen and you get the impression that I'm blaming God for something, know that I am not. I'm not blaming God for anything. We live in a sinful world. We live as sinners in a sinful world. We get into circumstances that are a mess, sometimes by our own design and sometimes just by the design of a sinful world working around us. But God can always use our circumstances to make us better. I don't want to read the whole Christmas story to you, but I want to remind you of something. The angel Gabriel came to Mary, said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was troubled at the saying. She tried to discern what this greeting was. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary asked the important question, how can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel said, Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child to be born will be called holy and the Son of God. Now we love that. We love to read that on Christmas Eve. We love to hear that story about Jesus being born. But you were never. And I was never a female, single woman teenager in that day and that age in which she lived you show up pregnant we've got a problem you know what mary said i'm the servant of the lord let it be to me as you have said i'm going to trust god i'm not going to look at my situation those men will want to stone me these people will want to throw me out joseph will want to leave me but i'm not going to look at any of that I'm going to look at Jesus. I'm going to look at God. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, the challenge that Mary faced adjusted her vision. Are you with me? We tend to look right here at the here and now. You mean to tell me I'm pregnant? You mean to tell me I got to explain this? Never been with anybody? Yeah, right. 
let it be to me according to your word. Mary's short-sightedness became long-sightedness real quick. It became 20-20 vision because she had the faith in what God was saying to her. You go look at Joseph. What does Matthew tell us about Joseph? It says that Joseph was engaged to Mary. And before they were married, it was found that she was pregnant. Now, Matthew tells us it was with a child from the Holy Spirit, but I want to guarantee you, Joseph wasn't thinking that because Joseph was a just man. And he was unwilling to put her to shame, but he was willing to get rid of her as quietly and as quickly as he could. Now an angel appeared to him, said, Joseph, get, get the picture here, folks. In this circumstance, this, this woman that I am supposed to marry is pregnant, and I have not been around her. Something's got to be done. And an angel shows up, and the angel says, Joseph, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. You'll give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He said, Joseph, you don't believe me. Go back and check Isaiah 7, 14. It's written down. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. They'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from that sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He did not know her until she gave birth to a son. He gave that child the name Jesus. What I want you to see is the challenge that Joseph was facing because that challenge changed his short-sightedness. Paul the Apostle comes along and says this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Just that one verse. Just that one verse. I'm going to read more, but I want you to get it. I consider that the circumstances, the suffering of the here and now, are not worth comparing to what will be the glory that God is going to reveal to us. Right there is today's sermon in a nutshell. I could have read that to you and sent you home. For the creation waits with eager longing. For the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. It will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that all of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth even until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. In this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. Do you hear what Paul says? Actually, the writer of Hebrews. He says... It's all here and now, and yes, it's difficult, but I have a hope. What is hope? It's faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is it that I've got faith in? That hope, that desire to one day see the glory of God, to be with him and to not be in the here and now. So therefore, in the midst of the present, I'm going to focus on the eternal. 
way to do that, church, is by doing what the writer of Hebrews told us to do in Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus knew that he would sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that God would not forsake him eternally. Jesus knew what lay in the future, and so therefore he endured the cross, despised the shame. You and I have these temporary light afflictions that come along. And we want to look at them all day long and tell everybody about them and talk about them and complain about them and bemoan them and forget how short-sighted that is. You see, the challenge or the challenges that come to our lives can very well be God's adjustment to our vision to take our eyes off of ourselves and make Christ our focal point. 1 John 3, 2 says this, and I will close with it. Beloved, we are God's children now. Let's just stop. I want you to think about that. Beloved, we are God's children now. You know, the whole time I was growing up, my mother and my father told us that we were Scottish. Can I tell you something? I didn't believe them. My family came from the hills of West Virginia. We are a bunch, you ever hear of hoopies? Huh? I mean, that, you know, this is Heinz 57 piece right here. This is not Scottish anything. My mother always told us, you're Scottish. No, we're not. Yeah, you are. You're Scott. No, we're not. Hey, bunch of malarkey. You just don't want to tell me, you know, that I got an Uncle Hector who got the electric chair. <laughs> All that stuff, you know. Well, one of my kids went and and did that whole DNA thing, you know, 23andMe or one of those things. <laughs> Lo and behold, we're pretty Scottish. <laughs> My daughter Arielle was having a blast because her in-laws, when they were getting married, were just all worked up, you know, about how Scottish they were. Lo and behold, we are far more Scottish than her in-laws are. I mean, we're the deal. Beloved, you're God's children now. When you believe Jesus, that cannot be taken away from you. That cannot be stolen from you. That cannot be put away. No matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, no matter what life can pitch at you, we are God's children. And what we're going to be has not yet been revealed to us. But we know this, when he appears, we'll be like him. For then we'll see him exactly as he is. That's faith. I don't know exactly what Jesus looks like, but I know he did this far better than I ever could. And so therefore, I'm going to look to him and not to my circumstance. I'm going to look to him who died for my sins, him who lived this life perfectly and yet was put to death on a, in, in a trial and in a, a heinous way. But I'm going to look to him because you know what? He's got good DNA. He's God's son. When the worst that life could pitch at him pitched, he rose from the dead. Why would I want to sit here and get hung up in my here and now when I can look to his there and then and know that I'm God's children right now. I'm his child right now, and it does, I can't see what I'm going to be, but I can tell you this much. When he appears, I'm going to be just like him. 
church, don't lose your focus this Christmas season. Don't lose your focus any season. What are you focusing on? What are you believing in? The difficulties of this life are momentary and light compared to that which shall be revealed in us in Christ. Amen.